welcome to episode one drive camp share podcast where we have you on to tell your true campus story you're here with your host dakota coming at you from all streaming platforms Timestamps are in the description if you want to skip to a certain guest. And hey, if you have a true camping story, drivecampshare at gmail.com. Anyway, um, you know, before we get into the guests here, I just want to kind of talk about what's going on in my camping world. Me and the buddy Justin just headed up to Darrington, Washington, you know, a little town kind of very north little bit west of seattle and uh you know we have a spot we go up there probably once twice a year super chill right on the river Uh, a few fire spots you can kind of make but it's probably not even 10 minutes off the main road so i mean we're looking at a rarity to get this spot on a saturday night so lo and behold get to the spot it's around 8 8 30 spots taken so, you know, we decide, all right, let's, you know, kind of explore the trails a little bit, explore the Forest Service trails, we'll find another spot. So we ended up getting to this uh, still river spot down a little bit more, um, but super fun little trail to get there. I mean, you're, 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 you're four by fouring sand and rocks and uh, had to slap it in four, uh, definitely some intermediate shit to get to the spot. So we knew it was going to be, you know, kind of unmolested. Still fireplace, still fireplaces down there. So, you know, obviously people go down there. But super nice spot, super sandy. You can check this out on my Instagram. Um, super fun. And uh, woke up the next morning and decided to explore the trails, you know. And I kind of wish we stayed there. That was a better spot out of the two nights we were out there. Um, so next morning, wake up, try to go on this you know, I guess excursion because we didn't know where we we're going. We decided to go up, you know, my kind of favorite thing to do while for service road trailing is to go up. You know, if you see a for service road that kind of goes up into the mountains, that's usually the gold. Uh, you're going to find that viewpoint typically <laughs> not in this case. So we ended up going, down a Forest Service Road. This was an all-day excursion to get from the south side, kind of of Darrington, to the north side of the of Darrington. Not not even really Darrington at that point. Crossing the mountains, and this trail is no beginner trip. Excuse me, no beginner trail. Uh, you know, if you have a outback four-wheel drive, you are not making this trail. You need at least. 31 inch tires that's what i have on my truck they're, they're mts so you know not really too much problem i do have a suspension kind of a suspension lift it's probably sitting at an inch high higher um so yeah we end up going through this and at one point we're crawling on nothing but one foot and two foot large rocks there's hardly a trail probably on that four a half a mile until it comes up to where the trail's washed out so you're literally driving kind of on the side of the trail just to get around this this dropping you know this landslide so um ended up taking that fucking beautiful intermediate type shit until we 
get to this other road and you know the north side of the road is actually pretty public i mean we took a right kept going uphill you know there's a right and left we came to a, a y where you could go right or left right was uphill left was downhill we decided to take a right you know continue going up probably drove on that for another hour until we reached the I guess top of this top of this mountain to where there was three other cars, nobody around. I mean, I don't know if they were climbing. Didn't see anything. We didn't even see a trail. I don't know what these people were doing. Uh, kind of disappointed to drive an hour up to find a spot and not have success. So we're like, all right, let's go down. You know, we saw that if we took a left at that Y, we'd hit a bridge. So we partner hit the bridge. Uh, we didn't really want to go back, you know, the, the four hours it took us to get from the, the north side of Darrington to the south side on that brutal trail. Um, would love to do the brutal trail again, but, you know, four hours is no minor feat. So we're going down. We didn't turn on a right. We're like, okay, this is a road close sign. You know, it didn't seem like a popular trail, but I mean, people are going to the top for some reason. So we found a road close sign. The gate was open. So we kind of assumed, you know, okay, let's check this out. So we're pulling down this road close sign and uh, we come up on this fence. Now, have in mind, this is probably, you know, another hour, hour and a half up in the mountains. This is all public land. So we're kind of thinking, what is up with this fence? I mean, what do they have a fence here for? There's no animals. And it was a barbed fence. I mean, at the top of it was barbed. So, you know, we drove past the fence for probably a quarter mile. And we see this other camper up there. You know, he had an actual like RV just parked on the side. He was parked right before the fence. There was like a, uh, you know, the fence disintegrated. Somebody ripped it down to where you could drive through. He was sitting right before you could drive through it. So we pull into this, this fence. And I mean, it's looking African safari. We were thinking about camping there, but it looked kind of, if we did anything with, with fire or cooking, it kind of looked like it could, you know, light up into flames i mean just super dry out there but african safari i mean next time maybe this september or something we'll go back and camp there super cool and you can see that in our first two pictures uh on my instagram the african safari so we pulled out of there we're like okay this doesn't go anywhere it kind of just dead ended in bushes i mean we were just crawling through you know three foot tall grass in the truck not seeing any trail so we decided to turn around you know, we saw the end of the fence. We we're still in the fenced area. I don't know what's in there. I went on Google Maps. It kind of just looks like a tree farm. Um, not like Christmas trees. They are pine trees, but I don't know what the point of that road closed. And you know, when we got to the fence, it said road closed until further notice. So I just don't, it doesn't look like anybody's been up there in years, especially at the end of that trail. So kind of hard to know what they're doing. So head back out of there, uh, go down probably another two, three miles till we find another turn and uh, went down there, found a pretty nice camping area. I marked it. I was like, okay, this might be it. I was trying to get Justin's attention. He was in front um, when we were doing this trail. He kept going. So I was like, all right, well, we'll keep going. We'll see what's down there and just come down into a forest and, you know, it's super far back there. So you're kind of, you know, what is it with any man-made shit back here? And we just come up on I mean, bushes, I mean, people have been back here in forever, but we come up on this cement slab and poor Justin fucking takes out a fucking tree dropping off the cement slab. He didn't see it. He dropped off. It. It's probably, you know, two feet, the two foot drop, maybe a foot drop. I might be overhyping it, but so he did that. I did that. I definitely slammed the diff on that one. I definitely need a two inch lift on my truck. Um, so it was just kind of a loop. 
I mean, and then we went back to the camping spot, set up camp. It's pretty early at that time. Brought out the Jameson bottle, had a good night, cooked some steak, cooked some chicken tacos. I mean, it was, it was fun. I actually went to bed early that night. You know, when we were at that Sandy spot, we went to bed probably at, uh, I don't know, <laughs> two, three in the morning. Uh, this time we went to bed at like 1130, man. I mean, we were just, you know, I guess drunk. We've been drinking all day. We were bringing out the beers at 12. And uh, right before we went to bed, um, you know, it's dark outside. We hear a cougar. I mean, literally a cougar sound. If you go on YouTube and look up cougar sounds, we hear a cougar, you know, rah, 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 whatever the fuck. That was, was that good? <laughs> and uh, so we bring out the pieces. I mean, I bring out my Beretta. 92 FS, Justin brings out his 45 ACP, 1911. And, you know, later in the night, we were checking out the Echo. This is still before we went to bed. This is probably from the time of 9 to 11. We would do this uh, scream. We'd just go, woo! And, like, way in the distance, there was an animal. Could have been a person. I doubt it. But making the exact same noise. We were just trying to test the Echo. So we'd go, woo! And, you know, we'd hear the, the Echo, woo! In the distance, you would hear the same, not the same woo, but I mean, you know, something repeating us. I mean, and this is close to us going to bed. That's probably somewhere around 10, 30, 11, but super fucking cool. I was kind of hoping to see a cougar, man. That, that That's a dream, um, especially when you're strapped up so you won't have any problems. So we wake up at 8 a.m. Uh, we're packing up. I kind of like to get back kind of early, uh, you know, the, the third day or second day, whatever day that is, the last day. I like to set up, kind of leave around 11, 12, just to be traffic since it's Monday. Um, and I have to drive 405 back down to home. But we're setting up camp. I'm in my truck, and I just hear this ear-piercing noise. And it is a jet flying... I don't know, 200 fucking feet above the ground. I mean, whizzing past the fucking tree line, ear piercing. I got goosebumps because I was like, holy shit, is this thing about to fucking crash into the fucking ground right now? But uh, Justin said he saw it through the trees. I mean, it was like 200 feet above the ground, just whizzing by this little valley. I mean, because you could see the other side of a mountain. It was definitely a valley through the trees that we were kind of looking off of. And uh, Jesus Christ, man, crazy. Um, one thing I about to say is we, we brought the nine mil SMG out, out a little fun with that shooting cans, trying to dial in the holographic site didn't end up happening, but yeah, super fun trip. So anyway, thanks for checking that out. Let's get into some guests. Hello, William. Welcome to drive camp share. What do you have for us today, man? Yes. Yeah, um, so I used to work at a summer camp, a, a boy scout summer camp. Um, this this story happened probably 2004. I don't remember the exact year. It was either 2004 or 2005, but I'm pretty sure it's 2004. Um, we taught a wilderness survival class, and one of the requirements was it for it was that all of the kids taking the class had to go out and they had to like build a shelter out of like sticks and leaves and stuff they find just out in nature and sleep in it overnight. And um, in order, the way that we did this is we would take all of them out at the same time on Wednesday night. Uh, we hiked out to a spot and that we had had, we used every single week, the same spot. Um, and we would 
you know, make a fire, cook dinner there, have them, you know, made a whole event kind of thing for, for them to do that night. And, um, the location wasn't actually that far from our camp. It was really like, you know, maybe half a mile away, but the route that we walked there, it kind of was really circuitous and it, it um, made it feel like they were walking a really far distance and they thought they were kind of in the middle of nowhere. So this one night we walked out there. Um, we usually go out like 6 PM or so. And uh, well, it's still light out. It gives us time to do everything. And then, you know, stay all, stay all night. And uh, we got out there, they made their camp, their, their, um, shelters and everything sleep and we cooked dinner and late at night right as everything was starting to wind down we were putting out the campfire getting ready to send everyone to bed um we started hearing what sounded like church singing like we couldn't really hear the words but just like the the sound it sounded like choir singing and um it was really odd because you know we're in the middle of nowhere there's no towns you know the closest town is probably like 15 20 miles away there's nothing close uh, close enough by that would we would think that we would be able to hear anything from and so it was kind of like me as like the person in charge had a couple of staff members and he was kind of freaking us out. But we just told all the kids to go to bed, um, lay down. Uh, I told them that, you know, I made something up, told them there was a church service going on in camp and that's what they were hearing. Um, and we continued hearing it for, it was probably like close to an hour that we were, we heard this singing and it was like kept getting louder and then quieter and then louder and quieter. And almost like, you know, when it was the loudest, it almost felt like, it was just, you know, right over the hill on the other side. It sounded like really close and then it'd get really quiet and suddenly it was really far away and dying down and then louder again. And like I said, it continued for like almost an hour that it was going and, and then eventually just stopped and we didn't really know what it was. And um, we took everyone back to camp the next day. And a couple of days later, we found out there was an article in the local county newspaper that there had been a KKK rally that night at a, some spot that he didn't give the exact spot, but it was close by to where we were camping. And that's what we had heard was uh, the KKK rally singing or so, something. And in your post, you said you heard church bells first. Were there church bells or did it just go straight to choir? Yeah, there was bells. There's bells with the, um, with the singing as well. That's crazy. So man, that, yeah, that's a yeah. great story, man. And you know, I assume it's hard to kind of get a distance for, for church bells. However, you know, yeah, that's the thing, like being out in the woods like that, you know, it, it's very difficult to get a, a range of the distance that it was and it could easily have carried from a very long distance that's what you know i'm kind of guessing it was yeah for sure i mean especially with vocals though i mean with vocals you kind of think it would be like two miles or less possibly but i mean and did you guys have any campfires going on or kind of were worried about your own noise level no i mean the group that i was with you know it's probably maybe 30 kids plus me and like four or five other staff members the the only fire that we had made was big enough to cook some food, uh, just like foil dinners, just like put food in tin foil and cook it on the coal. So it wasn't a big fire. Gotcha. We didn't make a whole bunch of noise. So I wasn't really concerned about that at all. I mean, 11 o'clock at night, you're probably like, what is going oh, yeah. on here? I mean, it was definitely very creepy. Like we, we were very creeped out. We had no idea what was, what it was at the, at the moment. Like I said, it was a few days later, we found out that it was a KKK rally and we had no idea what it was. I lied to all the kids because they were all freaking out. They were like, what is that sound? What are we hearing? Like, are there ghosts out here? What's going on? <laughs> yeah. I lied to them and just told them that there's like, yeah, there's a church service going on back in camp. That's what you're hearing. This happens every Wednesday night. And like, just made something up so they didn't get freaked out. But yeah, me and my staff were just completely terrified. <laughs> you know, did you go on? My main question is kind of, was there actually anything there? You know, you go home, you kind of figure out there's a KKK meeting. You know, were the church bells actually coming from like an actual location or the singing? Or could you go back, you know, on Google Maps and see like, you know, okay, it was coming from the east and look there and there's a church or a structure or something? Or was it just completely kind of, you know, out in the woods? This was, it was all completely out in the woods. I don't know. I mean, I'm 
the bells had to have been coming from something. I don't know what they were. This was like 2004. So it was really before Google maps was a really big deal. So like we didn't, you know, we didn't even think to go look at what, what might've been nearby. It was, there's a lot of, in, in that area, this is kind of like central Virginia, uh, close to the, um, close to the, the West Virginia border kind of, um, there's in, in that area, there's a lot of like, uh, very large private plots of land so my guess was that it was on like somebody's private property right um that they were that uh, you know they were holding the rally at and and that's probably where it was coming from but i have no idea specifically well dude thank you for coming on man i really appreciate it what is up matt welcome to drive camp share how you doing not bad man not bad what uh what do you have for us today oh um talk about uh you know just some camper safety when you're out and about if you're especially if you're a person that does a lot of solo camping uh or you know even just you know people that are out with groups and as a family and stuff but you know if you end up running into somebody out there i mean you're out in the middle of nowhere and yeah anyways i was out at one of these places oh well two years ago now i guess it is and just camp out there by myself i do a lot of uh desert exploring Uh, i do it oftentimes solo uh, which of course i mean i don't recommend for anybody just for safety reasons but i mean if you are going to go out like that you better have the skills and training and you know materials you need to be able to get yourself through any kind of situation that happens that you know shit goes down you got to be ready for it you know absolutely and uh you know i was out at uh, one of these sites and it's pretty rough getting into some of these places and this is one of the places i'd gone to and i was out there and got myself settled in for the night and you know, my camp all set up and whatnot and had whiskey with my dinner and a beer to go to bed and, you know, woke up early in the morning and I was sleeping and I thought, you know, I, I couldn't be what it is that I hear. And it sounded like footsteps. And then I started getting closer and I thought, oh, possibly an animal. And then I rolled over and, you know, kind of realized that that's not an animal that's in my camp. There's another human being that's walking around in my camp. I'm I'm whatever, 50, 60, 70 miles out of the middle of nowhere, and there's somebody out here walking around in the middle of my camp. And I hadn't heard anybody come in. There's no vehicles or anything. I'd have been able to, you know, where I was posted, I'd I'd have been able to hear vehicles coming in and parking next to me or whatever else. This person had obviously just walked in from somewhere off the side of the hillside and kept on walking around, checking things out. Eventually, they started uh, walking around. I could tell where their footsteps were headed to, you know, walking over towards my vehicle. And my vehicle, of course, I would say is gender neutral and everything that uh, is inside the vehicle is gender neutral. And the only thing that's in there that would indicate anything else is the fact that in the back seat, of course, I've got my car seat for my daughter. I'm a single dad and she's oftentimes out with me anyway. So I have my car seat back there for her and it has her, you know, princess coloring books and all that in there. You know, they, they wouldn't be able to tell, you know, if I was a guy or a girl or whatever else. So the person just kept walking around, walking around and, and the way that they were walking, it wasn't like they were looking for help or, you know, come out and talk to them or anything. They were, they were walking in the kind of way that, you know, you kind of sneak around if they're up to something, you know, kind of like when you're playing hide and seek. Especially if they're next to your truck right there. Exactly. I mean, you said, you kind of said he was like, you could hear like the, the truck handles, you know, getting, trying to get opened, right? Yeah. He's walking over and he's, you know, pulling on the door handles and stuff and. You know, I mean, I had the truck locked up and everything, but I mean, I could hear him clicking on the door handle, trying to see if it's open, you know, go looking in the windows and all that. And the whole time I'm just laying completely still. I mean, it's the desert is one of those places that you could knock a pebble off the side of a cliff and people that are four or five canyons down will be able to hear you and hear that pebble clinking off the side of a rock. So, I mean, I didn't want to 
breathe. I didn't want to sneeze. I didn't want to fart. I didn't want to <laughs> unzip my bag and do anything. I just completely just froze and just, you know, lay there and just count my breathing and ensure that I can't hear my breathing, but I can slow and count my breathing and at the same time listen to what this person is doing as they're walking around. Yeah, it just got, it was weird. And they'd been there for, I'm guessing by this point, three to four minutes in my camp from the time that I'd noticed them and woken up. And the thing is, I mean, the whole time that I'm laying there, I've got to piss like a racehorse and I'm holding my bladder as best I could to not, you know, urinate in my sleeping bag. You know, had a couple of beers and everything. I gotta get up in the morning, you know, take a leak. And then this guy's in there bothering me. I'm trying to go back to, you know, I don't know. Eventually, he started kind of walking back and forth. You know, I heard him, you know, walk out the other side, and I could see his silhouette from outside of my tent, and I could tell which direction he was moving. And he walked back out towards the road, and he was far enough away from me that I felt comfortable enough to be able to roll over and kind of get myself comfortable or somewhat comfortable again. So I mean, you know, I zip my sleeping bag, roll over. You know, pull up my knees, gonna stretch myself out. And at the same time, I reach up underneath the side of my belongings and you know, grab a hold of my pistol and you know, pull it up into my chest and then laid there and realized that you know, I just, I didn't wanna, I didn't wanna have to pull my pistol on somebody. I'm, I'm not that kind of person, but I mean, it was, I was just in a position where I don't know what this person is gonna do if they're gonna come back here or do something. You know, obviously after something, you know, anyways, uh, the person at this point I was estimating was a you know approximately you know, 25 30 yards away from me. I figured that you know I had enough room to be able to get myself up, and so I sit up on my knees and made sure that I didn't move my silhouette so much that it would disturb or ruffle anything in the tent, and that my shadow wasn't going to suddenly you know move if you happen to notice a shadow in the tent. And so I took and sat myself up and got myself into a decent position, and I faced myself directly towards the vestibule, sat there, and I just kind of waited and I listened to see what the person was going to do and as they were walking around they walked down to the end of the road at the end of my camp and they got to the uh, the road that comes into the where it is that I was camped at and they walked up about 20 yards and then they came back to camp and they kind of waited and they walked down about 20 yards and came back to camp and they kind of waited and I just sat there and I just kept them trying to monitor and see what they're doing what are they doing what are they doing literally I mean you know 10 seconds after the guy came back to where it is that I was camped at, right at the entrance of my camp. He decided that there was nobody else out there. And I think that's what he was doing. He was going out to see if there was really, you know, he really was out here alone with this person. And, you know, he didn't see anybody else out there and turned around and just, I mean, came storming up to my tent. And I thought to myself at this point, you know, if it was a police officer or somebody else, they would have announced themselves by this point, you know, and I mean, no announcement whatsoever. And just marched right up to my tent leaned down and knocked down in front of my vestibule and started pulling the rain fly. Now, at this point, I was in full position, uh, ready for you know, anything to happen. And the minute that they got the rain fly open, I waited about, I'm guessing, three to four seconds for them to kind of wait and see what else was going to happen and see if there was any kind of disturbance in the tent. And the only sound that I was able to make was having my hands out straight in front of me and cocking the slide on my pistol and arming my, you know, fully arming and taking the safety off and then pointing my pistol immediately back out in the direction. And the only thing that I see was their hands go flying up the top of their head and then stumbling backwards and I could hear them fall. You know, made a grunting sound. It was obviously a male. And I'd, I'd assume by that point it was a male just, you know, based on, you know, other attributes and features and stuff that I was able to identify. But they 
you know, they froze kind of where they were after they fell over and, you know, waited and looked at me and kind of looked at my direction and then held their hands as high as they could and slowly stood up and backed away from the tent. If I had to come out of the tent at that point, you know, my thought was, you know, it could cause a further disturbance. You know, we could get into confrontation. I could end up shooting at this person that, you know, at that point now there's, you know, all kinds of, you know, that stuff that I just didn't even want to get into. And I figured at this point, the person is doing exactly what I want them to do. They're backing away from my camp. They're getting out of my camp. They're not bothering me anymore and they're leaving. And that's what I want. So I, you know, waited for them to be fully out on the road and I listened for them to be as far down away from the road until I couldn't hear them. And then I laid in my bed and I just sat there and waited and I counted up to uh, 120 seconds. And I knew that uh, by that point, I didn't hear anything coming back. I quickly evacuated out of my tent and did what I could to duck and cover behind a juniper and a cactus and over behind my car and, you know, making rounds and everything. And just made several rounds around my camp back and forth, looking to see what had been disturbed, where this person had gone to. And the weird thing is, I mean, there was no vehicle tracks anywhere. They did not leave in a vehicle. They did not arrive in a vehicle. There was no fresh vehicle tracks on the road. And the only tracks that were out there from the last 24 hours were my tracks coming in. So that's why it is that, I mean, to me, it was just completely mind-blowing. I I did not see the physically see the person. I saw their silhouette. I could hear them, but could not tell you, you know, what they look like, if they're black or white or color of their hair, their eyes, anything like that, you know. But it was probably you know, one of the most bizarre incidents that I've had ever had uh, being out in the wilderness. So, so, I mean, how do you think they got there? You know, you didn't see any vehicle tracks or footprints. You know, you'd, you'd kind of figure you'd get out after that 120 seconds and be able to see someone walking away in the desert. Yeah, you would think that that would be the case. But I mean, it's and the, not, the weird thing about Utah is the fact that you could be out in the middle of the desert and I could be standing from me to you on the other side of a, you know, 10 foot around boulder. But the only way to actually access to get to you without climbing that boulder is for me to walk a, you know, a half a mile around the other side of the canyon and disappear behind four other canyons and come back into where it is that you are. Right. You know, he could have just, you know, looked at me and disappeared up the side of the hill and then been gone off the other mountain pass and... I mean, who knows where he came from? But the thing is, when I went out and I mapped out where it is the roads are, I was at the very top of that access road to even get into there. So everything that was above me was so steep that even I had a hard time climbing it. And I do some free solo stuff, especially when I go up into some of these mines and everything. I have to, you know, be able to stand on the side of a cliffside or a mountain face and work a hammer and, you know, looking for the material that I want. You know, and it, I still have, I'm, I'm still baffled by the whole incident, you know, there's... And where were you exactly? I mean, you said beforehand you were mining. Is this somewhere pretty public or is this really secluded, you know, and you could go months without seeing seeing foot traffic? No, I mean, it's it's far in there. It's, it's so far out there that people oftentimes, there's so many ghost towns and abandoned towns and abandoned mines that are here that, you know, people have forgotten about them and have no idea that they're there, that, I mean, you could be walking through the middle of the desert and walk past a cactus and not realize that if you had gone on the other side of that cactus, you'd have dropped into a 300 foot cavern. That's, you know, the open, you know, mouth of the mine somewhere that never got closed. And so, I mean, there's, there are some super remote abandoned ghost towns out here that, yeah, no doubt, man, that's wild, man. I mean, you know, and it's in seven, that's super early in the morning, man. I'm just trying to figure out like, what would somebody be doing? up there at seven in the morning, you know, scouting through a campsite. Yeah. Crazy. I mean, how long did it take you to get out there? You know, t- 
two to three hours to drive into, you know, how the hell does somebody access that on foot at seven o'clock in the morning? And right, for sure. <laughs> Dang, man. Well, I think that's it for me, man. That's that's such a cool story. I mean, super unique, super crazy, uh, super suspenseful. So, man, I appreciate you coming on, dude. Of course, yeah. For me, it's always going to remain one of my X Files, my personal X Files. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, absolutely, man. Cool, man. Well, hey, have a great rest of your day, man. Appreciate you coming on. You again. too. Thanks, Dakota. Hello, Dad. Welcome to Drive Camp Share. You know, I'm stoked to have you on. I kind of feel like my love for camping comes from your story, so I'm excited to get a few of these recorded. So what do you have for us today? I guess our first, I, I grew up in Tennessee, in Memphis, Tennessee, and me and three buddies flew out from Tennessee to Washington, Oregon border to the gorge to go windsurfing in 1985. So I guess, you know, I guess I'll start, you know, we, we, I was a windsurfer, picked it up in around 1980 with a couple of my other good friends that I'm still friends with today, which is, I guess, a little bit, un, maybe not unusual, but across country friendships are still going strong. Uh, we decided to do this big trip back in the day, the, the Columbia River Gorge in Hood River area is was world renowned in early 80s of the strong winds so we decided to jump on a plane and come out for two weeks uh i called budget rental car and ordered a car that had rain gutters and the only thing they had was a cadillac so here comes four teenagers we're all in our mid-20s going to uh, go camping for two weeks in a Cadillac. <laughs> it was a, they gave me a, a Cadillac Sedan DeVille, a four door Cadillac. Um, we flew in with four, four bags full of windsurfing gear. Uh, they weren't minor bags. They were huge. <laughs> yeah, no doubt. And they were huge. Um, length of the vehicle. Length of, yeah, not length of the vehicle, but you know, big. Um, and we had four of them, and now we had to put all this into a Cadillac. Uh, we overloaded that Cadillac for <laughs> the whole time. <laughs> so we had six boards, you know, about 16, 17 sails, eight booms, you know, wow. and then all our camping gear, you know, um, coolers. We actually shipped a cooler, so we had a cooler. Um and all the pads that we padded, you know, our sleeping pads were what protected our boards when you put them on an airplane. Um, right. So we packed up and we took off and we camped for, again, two weeks, mostly along the Columbia River. We and At that time, we were staying in campgrounds because campgrounds were not full. You know, we could go in during the middle of the week. We half the time we didn't even pay because nobody had come take our money. Um, you know, we'd camp and be gone in the morning. Uh, and that was at Mosier, I think was the, uh, you know, Mosier's a town on the Oregon side, um, you know, that we stayed at probably half the week. And then we drove all the way out. We were on the coast. We went to the coast twice during that time and windsurfed the ocean, um, Manzanita Bay. So we windsurfed. Manzanita Bay, which was a lot of fun. Uh, we called it the Trail of Tears because it was probably a 
I don't know, uh, a quarter, a half a mile walk to get to the beach from where we parked our car. And it was crazy. So to carry all your, you know, all your sails and whatnot, right. The, the sails and well, you're sailing your board and rigged and you, you know, you're in a wetsuit and you walk all the way, you finally get to the water and you're already tired. It's, you know, it feels like, and then you windsurf for a couple of hours <laughs> and then you look up at your car and you can't even see your car. You know, it's so far away. It feels like up that beach. I have pictures of it. It's just crazy. So then you have, you're totally whooped. You have to stop because you can't hold on anymore. But now you have to carry all your gear back up to the car. It was, I'm, we called it the trail of tears because it was just so long. <laughs> <laughs> so during, I don't know if many people know about windsurfing, but down at the gorge, it blows most of the time, you know, 20 to 50 mile an hour winds on a most daily basis if it's kind of overcast and cloudy in portland but it's sunny in the desert on the east side of washington um, you get a vortex going through there that you know the hot air rises in the desert and the cold air from the ocean fills it in and that is daily every day it's blowing down there um, back in those days it was very early in the windsurfing world and Everybody in Hood River hated the wind. They cussed the wind. They hated the wind because it blew, you know, like I said, 20 to 50 miles an hour every day. You know, now that is, uh, uh, they are probably very thankful they have the wind. You know, it kind of reboosted their whole economy. And right. Let's see. what. Um, so during those off times, we would go on, you know, we would drive away. We knew it wasn't going to be windy for two days, so we would drive up into the mountains um, back in that time was in 85, it was five years after Mount St. Helens was blew up. So we drove up there, uh, and parked at Spirit Lake, you know, on the, on the lookout and we're looking down at Spirit Lake and looking at that and it was all neat. Um, and we started to hike up this road, like, well, let's go climb Mount St. Helens, right? I mean, we had nothing else to do. And we didn't really know any, you know, know any better. <laughs> so we start, we climbed up Mount St. Helens in 1985 and we were standing at the top. There was ice caves at the top and we could look down into the crater and we have lots of good instamatic pictures of the crater from back in that time. Uh, and as we're standing there, Somebody, you know, we hear somebody behind us and they go, what are you guys doing here? May I see your pass? And we're like, pass? What are you talking about? Pass. <laughs> and we were in the red zone. And for some people that were around in those times, you had red, yellow, and green zones around Mount St. Helens. And it was still, even though it was five years after it blew up, there wasn't a single green plant that you could see. And, and for as far as you could see, it was crazy. Everything was devastated, burnt to a crisp, or just flattened. It was just totally amazing. So we're at the top, and this, it was a forest ranger with, like, three other people that, you know, he was showing them, the, you know, they would stop and take pictures of every little piece of clover they might have seen, right? I mean, it was kind of crazy. We were... And we had to follow him, you know, he, they said, follow us. Right. And so we were following for probably 10 minutes and then we're like, we're not stopping at every little piece of clover. Um, 
so we took off running and we we actually ran down the cinder cone like take a couple steps and jump in the air and drop 15 feet into you know it was like we're running down a sand dune it was and we ran all the way back to the park and you know jog not running we're not running from them but we were running you know it's like we're not thinking around we were we're getting our exercise for the day and they passed us at the very end right at the parking lot you know he didn't say anything but we were back at the parking lot um that was quite amazing that was a eye-opening you know mount saint helens did you guys just park? Did you guys just park in like a, a parking lot and walk up? I mean, how did you guys get yes. to the top? Yes, we just parked at a parking lot. It's It was kind of the overlook to that Spirit Lake. Right. And, you know, there was the Spirit Lake at that time, it probably still is, was just covered with logs. Like you couldn't see the water. It were so many logs that were washed down into that lake. And I think that lake came up 100, 150 feet. Um, in elevation because of all the mud that filled it in. And so it just raised up yeah, on the yeah, side yeah. of that mountain kind gotcha. of thing. Um, so we were parked there and that was early on. That was like in 85, there was nothing developed. I mean, it was a gravel lot. There's probably only 20 cars in that lot. And again, of course, when we were walking back, we saw the sign that said you needed to have a, a, a pass to go beyond this point, but we didn't see that when we were walking in. <laughs> Or if we saw yeah, it, somebody like, might have seen it and just didn't mention it, and we all just were ignorant. Yeah. <laughs> the, the typical. Is that like a documentation pass, or like what is that? Yeah, well, just you like yeah. Footage? So back in the time, they wanted to know who was in the red zone because there were still the, the Mount Saint Helens was still blowing steam, right? So if you were not, um, it, you know, if they wanted to know where you were and if you were in there. Because if it did blow up, they wanted to know whether, you know, to come find you or not, I think was the main reason for yeah. it. Um, again, we didn't know, didn't care. I mean, at the time, we, were like, oh, we made it back to the car and never really looked at it again. But, um, yeah, it was good. <laughs> another one was, you know, another, you know, and so we would come back and we'd windsurf during the day. And windsurfing is more of maybe a, a noon to 4 o'clock effort maybe it's 10 you know depending on when the winds pick up it's usually when the temperature differences pick up so the sun has to really warm it up but in between that and then after that we would just drive off into the mountains and go camping um that trip we did more of the state park camping but ever since then we went for 25 straight years tony and i went for 25 straight years we did a 10 10 day to two week camp every year for 25 years straight from that point on that is awesome and uh we never got a campground after that first year i won't say never there was a out on the oregon coast we did get campgrounds but again that was prior this was mostly all prior to cell phones yeah <laughs> i mean at the end we had cell phones but you know you weren't going on and reserving campgrounds for right First come, first uh, serve. Yeah, it's first come, first serve, right. And we learned real quick, if it, it was a weekend, you weren't going to find anything, so why even try? You just go up the Forest Service Road and find out, find places to go. And So most of our experience is along the Columbia River, but on the Washington side, because the Oregon side, for whatever reason, most of Oregon shuts down all their Forest Service roads. Right. They have them gated off. You can't get around them. You can't go up. The ones that are very difficult, like, 20% straight up the cliff type roads, they still have open because nobody does it. And we, 
we we've camped out on some of those as well i mean when you're so tired you know after windsurfing all day it's like skiing or any other high physical activity yeah you're lucky to make dinner and get your bed laid down before you pass out <laughs> that's another thing so you know we were we had never heard of rainier beer i i wouldn't say we i knew about rainier beer but everybody else didn't know of rainier beer and you know so we get out here it's almost like a limp you know Olympia beer is the same thing. We never had that in Tennessee. We had, you know, you don't, you don't, they didn't take that west or east of the Mississippi. Um, even Coors. Coors was not available when I was young starting drinker. Coors was not available in Tennessee, right? <laughs> what I mean, were you drinking down there? Some, there? some PBR? Uh, Miller, yeah, yeah, PBR, <laughs> Miller, yeah, right. Yeah. Budweiser, okay. you know. <laughs> So when we got out here, we're like, oh, let's try this Rainier. And we bought a couple cases of the Rainier and we threw them in the cooler, you know, and we're, we, you know, of course, four guys, we're drinking lots of beer. Um, the, the floorboard of the car was nothing but beer bottles at the time. You know, it was just, you just throw them on the floor. Who cares? We got the full coverage on the car, right? You learn your lesson that $15 a day, no fault insurance was, was golden. Um, it, it, you know, back when I worked at, at Budget, people would call up and say, I wrecked this car, bring me a new one. And they would bring them a new one and we'd go pick up the wrecked one. And they would get another car and they'd just take off and go. And we would bring the wrecked one back. $15 a day, baby. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and it was like, you know that you're buying the insurance. So <laughs> it's like, okay, that's part of it. Um, so we, we used to just drive on the Washington side up into the mountains and it was all around Mount Adams, you know, mainly Mount Adams, uh, Goldendale, uh, and then if you move, you know, move West along there, you know, you have, uh, other towns along the way. One is home Valley. Home Valley is where I took you guys as a kid to go cliff diving, right? You, you, in home Valley, outside of home Valley, Valley. Um, actually, there's one little podunk store in Home Valley that if anybody wants to go learn where the White River cliff diving is and hot springs, natural hot springs on the side of a ice cold river, um, you go into that little store and they'll tell you where to go. And it, you have to put money in the envelope and it's like eight bucks or something and you just go in and in the tip jar in the tip jar, so to speak, and you hike down and, you know, we were there and, you know, you're just sitting there and you're like, okay, what's going on? And so these guys, this couple comes up and, you know, there, there's nudists there every now and then. And these guys were nudists. So, you know, we're just sitting in the big hot, there's kind of a bigger one and a smaller one. There was other people in the smaller one and we're just sitting in the big hot tub, you know, and, and I call it a hot tub rock. We're sitting in the rock on the, in the, in a rock tub on the side of the river that's cut down into the rocks. And these guys took off all their clothes. Um, the guy just pulled out his, uh, lawn chair and was sitting above us in his lawn chair, talking to us, right. As we're looking up at his crotch, it was just like, Oh my God, I don't know if I can sit here. Uh, you know, you're trying to just look away. You can't even like, you can't talk to the guy because you're actually all your peripherals going there. It's like, Oh my God, this is yeah. nuts. <laughs> yeah. And then his, no, no, no eye contact. No eye contact. Well, you know, it's like, <laughs> yeah, you, all you want is eye contact, but it goes beyond the eye. Exactly. It's like, Oh man, this exactly. is not good. 
<laughs> and then his wife, just or wife or girlfriend, I don't even remember. I mean, that was so long ago, I don't even remember. Well, she just gets into the hot tub and starts floating right in front of us, like less than arm's length, right in front of us, naked, just just floating in the hot tub. <laughs> and we're like, oh my god, this is just okay. We're gonna go cliff diving now. Yeah. <laughs> and the right, like we're leaving this. This is so uncomfortable. It was just weird for us, young kids. We don't mind naked people, but it was just weird. You know, it wasn't normal. <laughs> um, Your girlfriend's in the tub, man. I know. What's going on my here? God, this is nuts. <laughs> and uh, yeah. So we went and, you know, you had back in the, at this time, we didn't know anything about this jumping, but it was, you know, a 30 foot cliff and the thir- the 30 foot portion of the cliff, you had to climb a, a, a cable, like a big one inch cable you pulled yourself up on, you know, which is the scariest part. Jumping off 30 feet is easy compared to the climb up to 30 feet. Um, and then, you know, as we're up on that spot, this young group of kids comes down and they come up, they, they walked up and around and down, right? So we did, we learned real quick that you didn't need to climb the stupid cable and almost die climbing the cable. You could just walk up and around. And this, uh, one kid goes, well, I'm going to go jump from up there. And Tony's like, well, okay, I'll jump from wherever you jump. So they started climbing up. They were probably, they were between 60 and 70 feet up on this cliff. That's, that's brutal. It's nuts, right? And so I jumped off the lower, and we're jumping into ice cold water. I mean, I, when I say, you know, it's probably 95 outside, but you're dropping into 40 degree water. It was just, you know, it's, it's, it's a glacial runoff from St. Helens and Adams is what it was. So yeah. I think it was Adams in that part. Can't remember exactly where it came out but it doesn't matter ice cold water <laughs> so when you hit the water you better not you know suck in air and you know i jumped in and then you swim as fast as you can to get to the side and lay on the hot rocks and warm up pretty quick um and this guy jumped at 60 you know 60 65 feet whatever he just took two steps and jumped off and then tony did it as well unbelievable it's like you guys are you know nuts so as we're all, you know, a couple of people chickened out from the 30-foot level. There was like maybe six, eight of them. Um, a couple jumped off, and we're all at the side. And then their friends showed up, and uh, it was like a guy and a girl, uh, you know, kids. I mean, when I call them kids, we're, we were 25, 23, I guess. So, or 20, 21. <laughs> I was 21. Right. So when I say kids, they were probably in their 16 age. Right. I mean, they were younger than we were. And so they showed up and the girl was, uh, you know, a little hard body, little string bikini. And so she goes, well, I'll go up there. You know, the guy's like, yeah, I jumped from up there. Me and this guy jumped from up there. And so she went up to they went both went up to the top and they came down from the top. They didn't go up from the bottom. So they were probably another 10, three three levels above and levels down there it's basalt so yeah every layer is like a, a a volcanic layer right of you know maybe six to ten feet so they are three levels above so they're in that 75 80 good 80 foot range man and they're standing up there and that girl was biting her fingernails and she wasn't even really looking over the edge she was just kind of biting her fingernails freaking out and 
she she launched off that thing. I could not believe it. I mean, she had bigger balls than any of us, right? It was like, oh my god, she jumped. It's like, oh my god, you know that that was crazy. So, oh, the other thing that we learned in Washington, and this is all coming from a Tennessee mind. Um, there's really nothing that hurts you bug wise in Washington State. There are rattlesnakes, yes, I understand, but rattlesnakes are generally not going to hurt you, and that's the only thing that's going to. Well, maybe a bear or a mountain lion, but again, those are not. Those are those. If they hear you, are not yeah. going to get you. Never yep. experienced them, right? But the yellow jackets, we didn't know what yellow jackets were, um, and you know, we would cook our, you know couple packs of bacon every morning and dozen eggs for us you know just to fuel up in the morning um and these these damn bees would come and start we learned real quick you can't fight them you just let them have a piece of bacon and they will sit there and chew that stuff up and take that whole piece of bacon gone it it was the wildest thing we've ever seen where it's like i have never seen anything like you know meat eating bees this is nuts um you know, all the bugs in Tennessee want to get you and hurt you and sting you and chiggers and make you itch. And, you know, where here, nothing, there's really nothing. Um, mosquitoes are only, uh, that's the other thing. At dark, all the animals go away, go home at night in Washington, right? All the insects go, go home. Um, the, the only thing that stays out are mosquitoes, but even them, they, you know, you hit around midnight and those mosquitoes are gone. They're hugging a tree trying to stay warm through the night, I think, right? Because it gets so cold at night. It's kind of neat. You know, we had tents. We'd get home, uh, our home, back to our tents, and there would be ants crawling, you know, like a, a, we'd put our tent right up on an anthill or something stupid. And these ants would be, you know, all over your tent. Like they would just do their trail on your tent because your tent was in their way. And they, you know, you'd freak out a little bit like, man, I can't even get in my tent. Look at all these ants, thousand ants. What the heck's going on? You know, and then right around dusk, they're gone. Oh, for real. (laughs) And you wake up in the morning, there's no ants. Yeah. And then all of a sudden you come back middle of the day, there's ants. You're like, this is crazy. So that's when we learned all insects in Washington go away at night. (laughs) They go home. So the Rainiers, oh, I didn't get back to that. So the Rainier beer, we bought these cases of beer and we're sitting there going, man, these beers are kicking our butts, right? I mean, we would drink, you know, you drink two or three beers. And you're like, man, this is kicking my butt. It took us like three days to realize we were drinking 16-ounce beers, not not 12-ounce beers. <laughs> I mean, it, it was at least three days. Uh, you know, somebody <laughs> just happened to look down like, oh, my God, no wonder we're feeling these beers, you know, yeah. 16 ounces. Like, oh, man, that's way different <laughs> drinking five beers instead of three right are you know you're drinking three beers and that's <laughs> yeah. really four right and you're like okay wait a minute exactly yeah, crazy. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh man that was kind of fun so then when we then when we were going to leave we pull up to the airport and pulling up to the airport in portland i find that we tony and i had to leave to go take the car back and Tony and I, we go and we park this car outside the budget and walk in and we're pointing at our watch like we got to go. We, we, yeah, we're going to miss our flight. Right. So they hurry up and put us through the, you know, since we had no fault insurance and all that, we signed the papers and we took off. <laughs> it was like, are they put us in the bus and took us back to the airport? 
And as we're at that counter, we could look outside and see the dents and scratches on that poor Cadillac. I mean, it was crazy. <laughs> I mean, there's footprints all over the hood, the trunk, the, the, the roof. I mean, it was the craziest thing and smelled like beer. And, you know, just imagine four guys in a Cadillac for two weeks. It was disgusting inside. It was not good. Anyway, it was kind of a, it was one of those things I shouldn't, admit, I shouldn't admit it. <laughs> one of those you shouldn't admit, but I have pictures all to prove it. That's the funny part. That is awesome. I mean, I'll go to another quick short yeah. story because we were on the coast camping, like up some forest service road. And it was, you know, it was, again, Toyota truck like yours and had a big rack on the top and had a basket, that basket that I have, you know, so we had, you know, probably six windsurfers in this big basket with all our sails and all that stuff on the top. And we were, you know, the, the side cuts on the road, on the forest service roads that take the water running down the road and take it off to the side. Yep. If we were going, coming back, you know, we were camped out, watched a beautiful sunset. I mean, it was on a cliff over the ocean. I don't even know where it was outside of Newport, I think. And, uh, Anyway, we were coming back, and I hit that that bobble too fast, like just a little too fast, and it caused that truck to go left, right, left, right, and it broke my all four of my Yakima roof racks and sent that whole rooftop off the side of the cliff. Like when I say off the side of the cliff, it probably went twenty feet down the embankment. Dang! And now we have a truck like yours with no roof rack all this stuff was on the roof rack now what do you do you you know you have no racks <laughs> now we had to take all the racks apart strap crap just to the top of the truck around the truck oh, through the truck man. i mean anything and in the back hanging out the back of that truck it was nuts did you uh... and then we're on a search for roof racks yeah and i think newport there was a bicycle shop in newport that the guy sold us just the towers because he because he had um uh, a display model that only had the 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 towers you know we didn't need the bars we just wanted the towers so it was kind of cheap i think it was only like 40 bucks and we got oh, all wow. four towers <laughs> and luckily he was open in there. I mean, it was like, oh, I don't know what we were ready to drive all the way back to Portland. We didn't know where we were going to find roof rack. So, <laughs> so drive slow over some of those things. You want to <laughs> yeah. go faster all the time. And it's like, okay, that, that taught me a lesson too. Yeah, for sure. All right. Well, I have to go. Yep. Thank you very much. Dude, thank you. I appreciate um, it. Yeah. Let's do it again. Let's, all right. Sounds good. All right, man. Thank you very much. Take care. Uh, yep. Bye-bye. Later.